And uh, we're not going to be talking about the object of our knowledge. I think if we pooled all the knowledge in the room, there'd be a lot of interesting things that, that you know that you have skill in related to uh, cooking or management or medicine or music or theology or whatever it might be. There's a lot of knowledge in this room about a lot of things. And it's not what we know that we're going to be talking about. It's how we know it. It's how we know it. Um, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 8. And there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 8. It's um, verse 2. It's a really interesting verse. As we get started, I want you to think about this verse. It says this, If anyone imagines that he or she knows something, he or she does not yet know as he or she ought to know. Isn't that interesting? You don't, if you think you know something, there's a chance that you may not know it in the way you think you know it, in the way that you ought to know it. We're going to look a little bit deeper about what Paul means. But there is a wrong way to know the right things. There is a divisive way to know the right things. There's a cruel way to know the right things. Today we're going to look at the kind of knowledge that the Lord is calling us away from as a church and the kind of knowledge he's calling us to as the body of Christ. There's a knowledge that puffs us up. There's a knowledge that kills love. And this is what we might call insider knowledge. Insider knowledge is the kind of knowledge that divides people between insiders and outsiders. This type of knowledge is like a drawbridge that is lowered over the moat so that people who have access to the kingdom can cross the bridge. And once they're inside, the drawbridge goes back up and no one else is allowed in. Here's some examples of insider knowledge. One funny one is like the secret handshake. Anyone here know a secret handshake? <laughs> okay. You do something with your thumb and your finger and like you cross, you just, it's really subtle, but like, if the other person was in the fraternity that you were in, they're like, oh, that person's in. That person knows the insider handshake, the secret hands, handshake. I see some smiles, some wry smiles across the room. Some of you have the secret handshake, and you will teach me. <laughs> Here's another example, somewhat benign, inside jokes. See, inside joke's not actually a joke. It's humor that stems from shared personal history that only you and other people have access to. You had to be there. It's hard to explain if you weren't in the room. Inside jokes are for people who are in the room. And there's a separation between those who are in the room and those who are out of the room. If you use inside jokes a lot around people who aren't up on them, you're going to alienate them. Here's another example of insider knowledge. Referencing specialized band names, designers, or authors. Okay? Like, I've been initiated at this level of the craft or the study. Have you? If you have, you'll pick up on the name, you'll recognize how sophisticated I am, and we're going to be special buddies. If you haven't, well, you're an outsider. You didn't catch the reference. Invisible cultural cues. Invisible cultural rules. Rules that no one will talk about 
but everybody who's in the culture obeys the rules. And if someone doesn't know about the rules and they just kind of break the rules, they're out. And no one's going to tell them why. They'll just subtly kind of be over there. I mean, what if someone breaks your cultural rules? Has everyone ever gotten in your personal space and like talked to you this close? And they didn't do, oh, they didn't get the breath mint? You know? Or they, or they stood way at a distance? Have you ever been an American in Europe? You know, you, br- you accidentally broke the rules. Oh, I'm sorry, I was too loud. Oh, you don't like loud Americans? Sorry. Okay, you're an outsider if you break the invisible cultural rules. And you've got cultural rules! This is different from shared memory between people who love one another. It's a subtle difference, but there's a difference between memory that is shared between people who love one another, people who are friends, because that kind of love is outward. It's pointed outward. It's creative and joyful. Insider knowledge creates what C.S. Lewis calls the inner ring. Insiders and outsiders, initiated and non-initiated, people who get it and people who don't really get it. It's a knowledge that goes like this. It cuts people in half. It divides. It separates. That's what insider knowledge can do. This is the way Lewis describes it. He says this, There are no formal admissions or expulsions. People think they're in it after they in fact have been pushed out of it or before they have been allowed in. This provides great amusement for those who are really inside. It has no fixed name. The only certain rule is that the insiders and the outsiders call it by different names. From inside, it may be designated in simple cases by mere enumeration. It may be called you and Tony and me. When it is very secure and comparatively stable in membership, it calls itself we. And then Lewis says this towards the end, I believe that in all men's lives, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be on the inside of the inner ring and the terror of being left outside. You know, it's tempting to want to know things like an insider knows things, isn't it? Because an insider is a special person with secret knowledge who is not left out. Insider knowledge was tearing apart the church plant in Corinth. It was tearing it apart from the inside out, right in half. And this is tragic. This is the body of Christ being torn in half. A a body that's designated to be whole and to be active in the world. But insider knowledge was tearing it apart. It was dividing it. And what was this about? It was insider knowledge about the way that faith and culture were supposed to be related to one another. There was an enlightened group in the church that had a progressive view on the interaction between theology and, and cultural practices. And, and that was a confusing and hurtful combination for other members of the body of Christ who didn't get it. There are people who got it and there are people who didn't really get it, bro. And it was getting harder and harder for them to be united and to hang out with one another, to share a meal with one another. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says this, Now concerning food offered to idols... We know that, quote-unquote, all of us possess knowledge. 
Here's some background on this knowledge. Okay, if you lived in Corinth at the time when Corinthians was written, do you know what you had? You know what you had to eat every day? You were eating bread every day, or you were eating a barley-based gruel every day. And it took almost your whole paycheck. You spent almost all your money on that two pounds of bread that you got every day. Or the gruel that you got every day. Maybe if you're, if you're actually one of the people in the middle class and that was not a very big class. So fish, meat, spices, those are expensive. Far more expensive than they are today. Many times more expensive than they are today. And we have a lot more money. So, um, so you would just eat bread and gruel. But every once in a while, a wealthy person would have a birthday and if you were lucky, you got invited to the party. And there were no restaurants back then, but there were pagan temples back then. And the pagan temples is where people got together and had festive meals. And you walked into the pagan temple. You walked into the temple of Apollo, Artemis, or Aphrodite. And you're sitting in a dimly lit room with elite and powerful people, the educated, the insiders, in a hall of pagan worship and prostitution and gluttony. And it was there that your bread diet was broken by a glorious dish of meat or fish or spices, delicacies. And as you eat, the images of Apollo and Artemis or Aphrodite are looking down at you from the walls as if to say, this is my meal for you. This is what I've provided for you. Look how powerful I am. Remember where you came from and remember who you are. You're a bread eater, and I'm the God who's providing you meat. So eat with, eat with thanksgiving. Eat with gratitude. This is a spiritually oppressive environment. And when the members of Corinthians church met Jesus, they made a clean break between themselves and feasting in these temples, eating at these tables. And that was really important because the power of the gods needed to be broken. That spiritual oppression needed to be put behind them. And even when Paul was starting the church in Corinth, he said, no more pagan feasting. This is not something that you're allowed to do. And there was a wealthy, educated group of, uh, of the Corinthian church plant that, that was pushing back on that and saying, Paul, you've got it wrong. We have been enlightened. We have been set free. We want you to know about it. So they wrote Paul a very pointed letter. Before Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, they wrote him a very pointed letter saying, there are theological reasons why we should be allowed to continue to eat meat offered to idols. Paul is responding to this letter, and he is writing to the insiders in 1 Corinthians 8. He is responding to their pushback. And he's going to quote them in the process. So, the first argument that they used is that they have insider knowledge. Paul quotes this in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, verse 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that, and you should see this in quotation marks, an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. What are they saying? They're, they're going, look, Idols aren't real. We, we've been enlightened. We know this. Um, we've triumphed over superstition. We're no longer held captive to it. 
And then later on, it says this. Um, they say, um, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things exist, um, uh, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we are, we are all things and through whom we exist. In summary, they're saying, Paul, we're monotheists. Okay? We've been theologically educated, and we know... That, well, we know the Nicene Creed. They didn't have the Nicene Creed at that point, but they knew the Christian Creed. And they were saying, this frees us in order to eat with us. In fact, we're turning it on the idols. We're laughing in their face as we eat their meat. Ha, 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 you don't exist. Um, 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 um. <laughs> it's this brilliant trick pulled by a brilliant group of Christians. In verse 7, Paul responds to this argument. He says, however, not all possess this quote-unquote knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. See, when you're on the, the inside of an inner ring, you are profoundly lacking awareness and empathy for people who are outside the inner ring. You don't, it's hard to even know they exist. It, it's annoying when they start making noise. Paul understands them, and he's, he's trying to help the people on the inside understand what it's like to be on the outside. Paul is saying to the insiders, you aren't seeing or understanding your lower class brothers and sisters. For the strong in the Corinthian church, eating meat was more of an ordinary experience. They, I mean, they had meat. They were more capable of affording meat outside the temple feasts. For the people who couldn't afford that, the only place they ate it was in the temple feasts. And when they ate meat, all the confusing, guilty memories would just get kicked up. And they would give them a sense of being reunited with, a, with an unclean spirit. Verse 8, Paul quotes another part of the insider knowledge. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do eat, no better off if we do. What are they saying to Paul? In other words, food is food is food. Eating is a separate enterprise from our worship of God. You can imagine the strong members of the inner ring in Corinth going to the weaker members. Come on. Eat with us, bro. You think we're not, we're thinking we're going to hang out with you if you can't handle the idol feasts? Get, get with the theology. Get with the freedom. The insider or the outsiders are trying to keep up, trying to follow wanting to be accepted, wanting to fit in, trying to get on the inside track, and they're not, in the process, they're getting destroyed. Verses 9 through 12 says this. It's so sad when you see it this way. Paul says, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food, offered to idols. This is perhaps the saddest verse in the chapter. Verse 11, And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. By your special insider knowledge, you're destroying somebody. You're stepping on something precious. You're taking the fine china of their soul and taking it out and just carelessly throwing it on the hardwood floor. 
watching it crash everywhere because you're free to do that somehow. Your knowledge is destroying your brother or your sister for whom Christ died, Paul says. Insider knowledge can and does tear people apart, not just in Corinth, but in our day. And it has, we're all human, has the capability to do that to Emmanuel Anglican Church as well. And when a body is divided against itself, it becomes disfigured. If a, thing, if a human body becomes divided against itself, it becomes disabled. If a body becomes divided against itself, it can no longer carry out its mission in the world. If the body of Christ is divided against itself, it will become disfigured and disabled and incapable of doing what it has been created to do. But there's a different kind of knowledge. There's a different kind of knowledge and a different way of knowing that Paul knows about and that in the book of Corinthians he is introducing to the church plant. And he references it in verse 3. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now think about that. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. I'll read it again. If anyone loves God, if anyone loves God, he's known by God. Now what kind of knowledge can create love? <laughs> Isn't that weird? What kind of thing? Where you're known by someone and in response to being known by that person in a certain way, you love them in response? I will give you an example. Um... <clears throat> about a knowledge that can create love, or at least generate love. Um, I went through this process with Laura 14 years ago. I did, not know enough, I did not know everything about Laura, but I knew enough to get in contact with her. I knew her phone number. <laughs> and so I used that phone number to get in touch with her. I took a risk. I made a bid with the phone number. And I said, do you want to go out? on a date. Thankfully, she said yes. So it started with some, this a little bit of information, took a risk, we had a connection, I found out more information. She had not done her Christmas shopping yet. So I used that information to make a bid, and then we had another connection at Chris Kindle Market, going Christmas shopping. And then, on that date, I got more information, and we were seeing the first episode of The Lord of the Rings, dating myself, Lord of the Rings, the very first one went out to, to a movie theater. And on that date, I found out more information. She wanted some space. I gave her some space. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Empathy. Making a bid. Enjoying a connection. This is knowledge that leads to love. Knowing someone in a way that they will love you in response. Not forcing them. Love can't be forced. It's not, not, not love anymore. This is a very interesting kind of knowledge, and it's not the inner ring kind of knowledge. This is what we might call just godly knowledge. It's the way God, the God knows us in such a way that we love him in response. Think about this. I, I love the collect that we pray each Sunday. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open. 
all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Ah, there's a comprehensive preciseness for which God knows us each individually and as a, as a body. He knows the secrets and the thoughts, and he knows even things we don't know about ourselves. He knows that in such a way that, what does the colic say? Purify our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit so that we may love you, so that we may worship you. Know us in such a way that we can love you. This is what, this is what God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did. In him was life. That life was the light of men. Jesus Christ became flesh to know our human experience, to know our temptations and trials, to even know evil as it killed him on the cross so that he could know us to a certain degree that we would love him in response. Have you ever been known by God? <laughs> if, you, if you do, you know that when God knows you, he, it's not a condemning knowing. He does not condemn you. He beckons you to himself. He gives you his love. He makes a great exchange. And it's available for everybody. It's not exclusive. <coughs> this is why it was so important for Paul to write this letter. This is why it was so important for the early Christians to fight the Gnostic heresy. And this is why it is so important for us to not know correct theology in such a way that we get divided with each other. Or to know cultural cues in such a way that we get divided from one another. Or to know personal history and inside jokes in such a way that we get divided from one another, from one table to the other. Friend against friend. Body part against body part. A body is not meant to be divided. A body is meant to be connected. I think about your body. If you have a toe that's hurting, or a knee that is out of, it's been dislocated, or if you have some kind of wound, your body marshals itself to care for that hurting part of your body. And if your body does not know how to pay attention to the hurting part of the body, your body will get worse and get more and more divided. A body is not meant to be divided against itself. A body is meant to live in harmony with, one, uh, with itself, to have great knowledge of itself. And this is how God knows us. God knows us in such a way that we love him in response. It is a gentle, empathic, precise, pursuing knowledge that leads to love. Insider knowledge creates insider groups. Godly knowledge creates the body of Christ. Okay? Two different types of knowledge, two different Two different things that are created. One creates a division. One creates a body. It's two different ways of knowing. And we are called to the second way of knowing. We are called to the way of knowing that creates the body of Christ, not the type of knowing that divides the body of Christ. This is our calling. This is our birthright as a church. Our calling is to lift high the Son of God in the city of Chicago that all would be drawn to him. That's knowledge for the life of the world. We are knowing Jesus Christ in such a way that other people can know him, and that will bring life to uptown Chicago and the world. This is our birthright. We know Jesus. We're making it possible for our city to know Jesus. We are known by God. We make it possible for other people to be known by God. We publicly display the body of Christ when we operate as the body of Christ, not as we operate as a specialized group. This is our collective mission. We cannot do it alone. We cannot do it through special groups. We cannot do it if we are divided. Godly knowledge sustains and creates our life together. Think about this. We're in a neighborhood that needs a lot of empathy. Not, 
patronizing. Our, our neighborhood does not need us to patronize it. Our neighborhood needs us to know it. And let me tell you something. Um, Aaron Songa was talking with a neighbor when he was doing his neighborhood survey. And uh, one of the things that this neighbor did is he, he, uh, he was walking with a limp. Aaron asked him about it. He lifted up his leg and he said, I would wear a leg brace, but I don't wear a leg brace because if people around me see this weakness, they will take advantage of me. And I tell you, that is the experience of so many people in our neighborhood. They're afraid to show their weaknesses because they are, they are concerned. They've been taken advantage of before. And as you know, human evil is attracted to human weakness. So many people in our neighborhood experience that. What would it be like for us as a church to know our neighborhood in such a way that they love God? <laughs> Empathy, awareness, walking with them, not trying to fix them. Being, being aware that we have invisible cultural cues that could separate us. Potentially being tempted to insider knowledge, insider theology, insider ways of operating that can make people feel alienated. We are called to find healing and freedom from insider knowledge. Maybe you've been hurt by insider knowledge and it's a paradigm through which you see the world. Who's accepting me? Who's rejecting me? The Lord is calling you to freedom from that paradigm. Uh, perhaps you're convicted that you've actually been a perpetrator of insider knowledge. The Lord does not condemn you. He calls you to confession of sin and to be known by God and be healed. The Lord wants to call our church past this way of looking at reality and looking at the body of Christ to godly knowledge. Whether you've been on the inside or the outside, so often they go together. We are called to know people in such a way that people are able to love God and enjoy the love of the body of Christ. Some of us lack awareness of others. There's a sin of omission. We have not been curious enough about other people because we're so satisfied with the relationships we have. spiritual writer says this, it's helpful when conviction of sin leads us to feel sad because godly sorrow inspires us to reach out for Christ's hand of mercy that will pull us back up to our feet in God's kingdom. Godly sorrow produces a longing for the righteousness that comes from God. It leads to salvation, being reconciled to Christ and helped to become more like him. Godly sorrow becomes empathy, which is what we need. That's what we need. We need God's empathy for other people in our church and for the world for Uptown, for Chicago. And that en enables us to love them. I want you to imagine with me a holy curiosity that would take root in our church about our neighborhood and city. What if we were so curious about the challenges that the people in our neighborhoods and networks were facing that we did the same thing with that knowledge that I did with Laura's phone number? What's a challenge you're facing this week? What is it like to be you? What are your, what are your needs? I, I, I'm not saying I'm going to meet all those needs, but I want to walk with you. I want to know you. I want to be connected to you. I want you to know the love of God. I don't have an agenda beyond that. 
a holy curiosity that overflows from our congregation to Uptown and to Chicago. So where do we start? If you want to start here, where do we start? We start with a prayer. This is always where it starts. It does not start with amping ourselves up on guilt. It starts with a prayer. And here's a prayer I want to give to you and suggest for you if you would like it. Jesus Christ, let me know others as I have been known by you. Jesus Christ, let me know others as I have been known by you. And think about the ways Jesus knows you. I mean, he knows your trials, temptations. He knows your needs. He knows your weaknesses, doesn't condemn you for them. Draws near to you, brings life to you, puts hope in your heart, puts hope in your heart and soul. Jesus Christ, let me know others as I have been known by you. And then we, we go from there and we go to a question. And here's a question that you can ask someone that is not in your circle. Could be someone here in Emmanuel you don't know well or haven't met yet, or a, a question for someone that you share a neighborhood with, a workspace with. Here's the question. What's a challenge you are facing this week? What's a challenge you're facing this very week? And you let the conversation go from there. Ask it over lunch, ask it at the peace, ask it after church, ask it someone you know or don't know well, ask it after. What if you were asking that question as a group to your neighbors? What if you were asking that question, what if we were asking that question as a church to our neighborhood and city? What is a challenge that you're facing? What is it really like to be you? It's going to give us the knowing that we need to love our city in the way God has called us to, as the body of Christ, as the body of Christ. Lord Jesus, would you build your body from the inside out? Would you create in us a godly knowledge would you protect us from a dividing knowledge? We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.